Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 235, BGA's 6th birthday, favorite acquisition disorder at the table and feature. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is BGA's sixth birthday, six years podcasting. My friend, we are here yet again. We did it. We did it again. The big six. Is that a thing? The big six? I like that. It is now. Big six. <laughs> <laughs> I think we kept going back and forth. Is it a birthday or is it an anniversary? How do you, you know, quantify, define uh i mean is the podcast alive does it actually have a, a certain <laughs> essence or meta to it where it exists in some sort of philosophical framework i, I don't know what what is this thing that we are oh, doing you give me a headache what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> where's daniel where you need him to come in and kind of right like set out the philosophical groundwork here but yeah no we need daniel so i can mute and fall asleep for a second and wake up and be like i don't know what you're talking about yes yes i miss i miss our six hour uh existential phenomenological conversations about the podcast and the universe and how it will eventually implode but nonetheless when that day finally comes which hopefully will be far 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 away we will have talked about a lot of board games but at this point it is our sixth birthday six years of bringing you the latest and greatest in board gaming, tabletop gaming, card gaming, miniature gaming, even video gaming. I think every type of gaming possible, right? Yeah, I think we've covered every possible base at this point. <laughs> and I think even some stuff that goes way beyond board gaming and tabletop gaming. We talk about everything that gaming has an influence on and everything that influences gaming. So there's been a lot of episodes to talk about, especially this past year. I think in particular, Anthony, we really hit upon some hardcore subjects and really took board gaming to a different level and also talked about how board gaming could just make a difference in, in people's lives. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's one of the cool things that I like about doing this podcast. I mean, obviously content is content. People want to be entertained to some degree, but at the same time, it's kind of cool to have a platform where we can invite people in and discuss important topics. Like you had Jen on when I was out of town, which was awesome. I really enjoyed listening to that myself. We've touched on several different topics, you know, ourselves, even when we're just talking about games, you know, we're talking about like alternate history of games, but we can discuss why it matters that those even exist, right? Sure. This is cool stuff. So sometimes it's things that come up at the game table. I guess it depends on your group. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just something in the back of my head. And I'm just like, oh, this is kind of a cool thing I'd like to talk about. Chris, just, let's talk about this. You know, <laughs> it's kind of the really cool thing about having an audience that is interested in those kinds of topics. So, you know. What really makes it the coolest thing of all is that you are here to join us each and every week to have the conversations with. I mean, without you, our listeners, this would just be Anthony and I kind of rambling to ourselves on some street corner until we were eventually arrested and thrown in an insane asylum. So we appreciate the fact that we can 
say it's a thing and have you listen along. And really, as mentioned, it's our sixth birthday, another year with you. We're so grateful for that. So many great episodes. And before we just jump into the episode in a whole, obviously, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. Thank the Patreon backers for helping us bring you a new episode each and every week, not to mention the bonus episodes and everything else we do, including all the game giveaways that we can kind of support the audience, our volunteer efforts with Extra Life and all the different charity work we do to support the community out there. It's been a really, really, really wonderful year. And I know for Anthony and I, what we really wanted to do at the very beginning was create a podcast full of episodes, which each episode was unique. The features were unique. It wasn't just a redundant thing each and every week. So please, if you haven't listened to our back catalog, everything's available on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Obviously, any of the podcast listening programs that you're currently using, Facebook obviously has all those kind of links and Twitter and even YouTube. If you haven't checked this out on YouTube, subscribe there. All of our episodes are there. Go back. You're going to learn everything about everything in board gaming. And it's just really a tremendous opportunity to connect with you. And we really appreciate that. So, Anthony, with all of that kind of fun stuff, and uh, before we blow out the candles at the end of the episode, let's talk about one of the ways that we thank all our listeners out there. Let's talk about our Patreon contest. Yes, sir. We do this every week. We give away a game to one of our Patreon backers. We run a series of contests. We've been doing this for most of 2019. Uh, In the last two months or so, we've switched it over, though, where it is actually a more proactive, interactive contest where people will submit photographs. They'll do scavenger hunts. They'll figure out what components go to which games. Um, This last week, what we did was the Match the Year Challenge. So uh, this one came courtesy of our uh, Slack group. I asked everybody for ideas on what they wanted to do. Um, And so this is kind of a scavenger hunt, but the spin was... I'm going to give you a setting, a location, a year, something. Give me a game that happens there. So the eight clues were 19th century Spain, the moon, another galaxy that's not made up, uh, an obscure television show from the 60s or 70s, the internet, 15th century Japan, inside a tree, (laughs) and at the bottom of the ocean. So some of these are easier than others. Obviously, the moon, most people just seem to Google the moon board game. But um, we had a lot of good entries. I feel like probably the first half dozen or so came within a couple hours. And I will say this time that there were some that I did disqualify that were not quite accurate. Um, I'm not going to go in like the, the fine details of why here or there. Just it was kind of a funny thing. <laughs> like some of these were like, that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not going to give you that one. So the winner was not actually our first complete entry because like I said, I did disqualify a handful of them. And it was Michael. Michael uh, managed to get all eight of them with answers that fit those eight particular responses. And it was a lot of fun to read through these. I've actually posted from last week, their first contest that we did. That was the uh, the scavenger hunt of uh, just various like different types of components and stuff. So you can see that on boardgamersanonymous.com if you want to see everybody's answers. I'll probably do the same for this one so you can kind of see what everybody did. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you want to see what all these are, I post them on Thursdays and you get a chance to, to join in if you're on the Patreon. Yeah, so thank everyone for supporting us on Patreon. It makes all the difference in the world for us to be able to produce episodes each and every week. 
And even if you're not a Patreon backer, once again, thank you so much for sharing these episodes, sharing our social media with other people, helping us grow the hobby. It means a lot to us. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with BGA. What's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? All right. Yes, I asked the classic question, which I've asked in other forms before, but, you know, the audience grows and I want everybody to get involved. I asked, what's your desert island game? The one game you could play forever if stranded with nothing else to do. So this is like there are certain questions that everybody has an answer to. This was one. So sometimes people give snarky answers. I think everything was actually legit. So um, so let's run through a few of these. Chris says, since I'm on an island, Spirit Island. Good Whoa. answer. Nice. Good answer. Especially with all the spirits in the expansion coming. Lots and lots of replayability there. Mm-hmm. John mentions Anachrony with the Fractures of Time and Infinity Box expansion. Sure. Again, tons of replayability. I'm on board with that. Um, Anthony took it to its logical extreme, of course, and he says... I'm going to be alone, so I'm just going to take a deck of cards so I can play solitaire games. <laughs> so, yes, Anthony, absolutely agree with you on that one. <laughs> well done, well done, uh, sir. Yeah. Rodney says, Splendor, obviously. Just kidding. So he, he actually says Mage Knight. Um, I did like the Splendor troll there. That was pretty good. There you uh, go. We have just a few others that people threw in here. George mentions Seventh Continent. And that's pretty, there's a lot of content in that box. It's a pretty good one. Chris mentions Marvel Legendary. Again, just endless content. Um, David mentions Dominion because endless content. So I think a lot of people went with what would keep me entertained forever because there's so much stuff. You know, Arkham Horror, the card games on here. Michael, one of my favorites here was Mega Civilization. I think he's assuming he'll have a big group with him, but (laughs) you can play that like once a week. He'd be set. There you go. A few people mentioned the game that I picked personally, which is Terraforming Mars. And at at this point, playing it solo especially, there are, I don't know the exact number, but something like 25 or 30 corporations. Uh, And I've yet to beat all of them in solo. So that would give me something to do for a while. Like long enough, the amount of time I feel like I'd have on a desert island where I'd want to play board games before I got tired and sick, I'd probably be good with that. So... (laughs) Uh, that that's my pick. What about you? I, I guess there's a lot of ways to answer this question, so I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to troll this question because I know that you you've dealt with some of those things already. I guess let me answer it multiple ways. A game that I've never played, but I feel like would have so much content and I would enjoy a lot because otherwise I would never really get to play it. Would probably be Kingdom Death Monster. Mm. Uh, I I heard a couple of my game group people talking about getting to play it, and I've just been very envious about it. I know it has endless number of chits and things and manageable upkeep, so to speak. So that would probably be the game that if I had to pick anything to take with me, it would probably be that. If I had to take anything from my collection, it would probably be something that had almost endless meta to it. So it'd probably be like something like X-Wing Miniatures or Star Trek Attack Wing or something that has, as you mentioned, endless expansions and endless combinations so probably something along the lines of Arcadia Quest, where there's just endless number of teams that you can put together as far as that's concerned. But yeah, I, I think that's generally what I want to do if I have to do something forever is just kind of manage the meta, so to speak. But otherwise, some ridiculously long kind of civilization game with ridiculous miniatures that probably would scare away, you know, local creatures. So yeah, Kingdom Death Monster. That's a good one. Yeah, I thought of another answer that you'll love. Uh, okay. 30 cases of Keyforge. 
Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Yes. You said no. endless meta, and that's what I thought of. I'm like, endless. It's unique, uh, right? Endless. <laughs> oh my God. So bad. Or how about let's let's just go with Robinson Caruso, right? Because you could realize how to kind of protect and, and build up an island, you know, and that might be a thing. It's 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 truly meta in that kind of case. Go that kind yeah. of meta. It's educational. It's there you go. So, all right. So that's everything from our question of the week. If you would like to jump in on that, don't forget Twitter and Facebook. The questions are posted every day. Anthony's looking for your response. So if you haven't got a chance, jump over there. There's always a new question. We would love to hear from you. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from our question of the week. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. All righty. Yes. So this one is interesting because I could have picked this up at Gen Con and I just chose not to because various reasons. Um, But I've heard enough good things. Several people I know have played it. I've seen it at Target. And that is Horrified. This is a new game from Robinsberger and the design team at Forest Prusan, also known as Prospero Hall, as they're known to plume. And it's a game about the universal movie monsters so frankenstein and dracula the invisible man bride of frankenstein and you're playing against them it's a kind of a one versus many or cooperative type of game and it's relatively light of course it is similar to like games like jaws or the jurassic park danger or um, i believe the villainous is probably the most famous game that came from this combination and it is just lighting up everything. People are loving this game. It sold out every day at Gen Con. People like fighting to get into that line. I have not played it yet. I have seen it, but now I'm tempted by it just because I've heard enough good things. And I do like the theme. It's a cool idea. I think it's just a matter of a licensed game that you see on mass market shelves. There's this, this trigger of I'm not interested. I don't, it can't be that good, right? All those games I played when I was a kid, they're not that good in retrospect. <laughs> so I don't know if this is any good or not. It's probably on par with like a villainous, which some people love and some people, you know, it's a little too light for them, but I'd like to give it a go. It seems like it'd be something I'd be interested in playing, especially something that'd be kind of accessible for the family and has kind of a cool, darker theme without actually being scary, you know? Yeah. I, so that's horrifying. Yeah. I remember seeing this. I thought the same thing too. I'm like, well, okay. A generic IP game from a major corporation, but you know, board gaming has stepped it up. We've seen this, this step up with video games back in the day. Anything that had an IP on it was literally the worst video game possible. But nonetheless, board gaming has done a lot better. And this looks like an interesting take. And once again, if it's a good game and it's an IP that's recognizable, it'll bring people into the industry. So, yeah, I'm totally all for it. Now, speaking about IPs and generic kind of like mass market games, is something that I actually predicted a long time ago, but, you know, honestly, I'm not going to take credit for it because it's the dumbest, obvious, most easy thing to predict, (laughs) which is, hey, you know you got those Funkos? Because literally everyone has some level of Funko in their house or in their collection, and then there are some people that their house is literally made out of Funkos. Well, what if they just might as well just use the Funkos in a board game? And guess what? Funko came along bought up a company or two and said, Hey, we're using our Funkos for board games. Right. And I'm like, yes, of course you are. Everyone knew you were going to do that. And they did. <laughs> so pop the Funko company has the Funkoverse, And 
they have two major releases and then four small releases. I know this came out at Gen Con, but this is something that's at, you know, Target, Walmart, GameStop, Amazon. It's pretty much everywhere. And basically, it's a very light skirmish game. So if you pick up the big boxes, there's four characters, two versus two. If you pick up the small boxes, then it's one versus one. Right now, they have Harry Potter in a big box and a small box. They have Golden Girls in a small box. They have Rick and Morty in a small box. Batman has a small box and a big box. So I don't know if you don't want to play the massively intense (laughs) monolith version of Batman, you could play the most ridiculous small version of it with these Funko characters. Now, what I'm a little disappointed by, although I, I get it because they want to sell their products, is that at least initially... This is not a game where, like, here's a game, you just pull the punk, the Funko pieces off your shelf, and then you pick up some cards that go along with it. The game itself has the Funko characters in it already. Now, there are some options to add characters and swap characters out, and you don't have to play with certain teams. You can mix the teams up. There are individual cards in the game. So, as I mentioned, you get your characters. The characters have special abilities. They're tokens. They are very low-level, cheap kind of board setup. Think Arcadia Quest as far as like two teams battling out objectives and slapping each other around. I have not played this. I don't foresee myself playing this. I, I've kind of put a healthy stop on my Funko collection with the exception of the times when Barnes & Noble runs a board game sale and I show up and there's no board games, but for some reason, all the Funkos are on sale for like five bucks each. <laughs> and then I have to be like, well, how crazy do I really want to get? <laughs> so it's like, hey, here's this minor character from this movie I kind of like, but it's $3, so I should buy it, right? Because, you know, minor character, right? So, yeah. So uh, if you like Funko, and you should, I mean, Funko is insane with the number of different characters and IPs they have, like everything from sci-fi to fantasy to cartoons to regular ordinary TV shows to political candidates, they have everything. So Funkoverse, the strategy game, very light on the strategy part of it, but it's out there and, uh, you know, might as well check it out with the family. Might get a real kick out of it. Yeah, it looks like licensed Crossmasters. Like it's... (laughs) Like it's it's relatively inexpensive though. Like forty bucks for the big box is not bad. Like they definitely go in mass market. I think it's funny that we both picked games from the same design group. <laughs> so, but like pre Funko purchase and post Funko yes. purchase. So, yes, very like, much so. Like these are not the kinds of games we would normally talk about ever. And then like both of our acquisition disorders. I mean, I I are mass market. I don't foresee myself ever picking this up. But if someone had it, I I probably just try it out because. You know, it could be uh, the Golden Girls versus Joker and Harley Quinn. So why not? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So that's everything for acquisition disorders. Anthony, let's get on to the games that have been hitting the table. And we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them if the games are a dodge and they should avoid them all, of course. Or if those games are the dreaded burn. And you know what? It's our birthday. So light it up. What do you got for us this week, Anthony? <laughs> Unfortunately, there will be no lighting up. I actually like this one. Um, it's a, uh, so I always hate saying this because we're recording and I sound like an idiot, but it's Teotihuacan and Jason will make fun of me later. Uh, the late pre-classic period expansion. So uh, my friend picked this up at Gen Con. Uh, he actually was 
the individual who gave me a ride there. And we've been trying to get it to the table for the last couple of weeks, but we finally got a chance to play it, threw in almost all the modules, so got a good sense of what everything does. And yeah, just kind of want to run through and give you a sense of what each of them do and whether it's worth picking this up if you have the original game. So there are, I believe, four modules that come with the game. The most important and most visible is the player powers, which is similar to like the tribes in Zulkin gives each individual player a unique power as well as a really bad deficiency, right? So the guy I played with, for example, you could go to one of the three places where you get resources, and if someone else's die was there, you could pretend it was yours, which in this game means you get more stuff. So that's, that's pretty cool. But the downside is anytime I built something with those resources I got, I had to pay one extra resource of my choice. So I would get more stuff when I went in there, but then I had to pay more to build. So I had to really balance that carefully. Andrew, one of the people in the group, his was whenever you get a mask, you get to take a resource and move up a, a track of your choice. And the expansion puts more masks in the game, like those tiles, it adds more to the mix. So he got a lot of masks, which I've never seen anybody do in this game, which already is a good sign of an expansion because it takes a mechanic that everybody was ignoring and makes it more viable. Uh, he actually won the game by three. He beat me by three. So that was interesting to watch. It also throws in a new temple track. There's a fourth temple track that gives you player powers that change throughout the game. So there's like one level one, two level twos you'll pick up and two level threes. These are really good. <laughs> um, like at level one, for example, you get one cocoa every time you pick up a resource or and you get to choose one of these or when you go to a worship space, which is one of the actions you could take, you don't pay the cocoa to take both actions. Normally, you'd have to pay extra stuff to get all the things you could get there. Now, you just don't pay it at all. At the second level, every time you reincarnate one of your dice, usually it comes back as a one, which means it takes longer to power up. Now, they all come back as twos. Also amazing. Or you can get one free resource every time you take a tile off the board. Also amazing. These are all really good. It's really hard to choose what you want to take. It does a couple of other cool things. It replaces the spaces for building the pyramid and the decorations. Uh, previously, those were fairly simple. Number of dice is the number of things you could do. But now you get other special bonuses. So they formatted them the same way as the rest of the other um, locations. So, for example, if you go to build a pyramid and you have two dice that are all both four and fives, you can still build two tiles on the pyramid, but you also get two cocoa and you can unlock one of your locked dice, which is really cool. And the decorations has kind of a similar thing. The result of this is that it makes more sense to lock your dice, which was another mechanic that a lot of people just kind of ignored a little bit because it was really painful to unlock them. I really liked everything this did. It was really cool. The scores ended up being much higher because it focused everybody in a specific direction. Those player powers tell you, go this way, do this thing. Because if you don't, this penalty is really going to hurt you. Um, and it just, it made it much more focused, much more engaging. Scores were higher. I get to lock my dice a lot more, which meant lots of big bonuses. I comboed stuff together a lot more using that orange track, the new temple track. We didn't even use the fourth module, which is like every round of the eclipses. It changes one of the rules in the game. So certain things become worth more points, less points, whatever. 
I think this is a fantastic expansion. I think people who had issues with some parts of this game, um, this resolves at least several chunks of those parts. And I felt reinvigorated playing it. Uh, this is obviously one of my favorite games from last year, but I haven't played it a ton in the last, you know, six, seven months or so. And I think part of that is just, I would almost always end up taking a similar strip strategic path because certain things just didn't make sense to do masks almost never made sense you know locking your dice a bunch doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it costs a bunch to unlock them now those things are wide open and i really really like that so i think if you like teotihuacan you should definitely pick this up if you were on the fence about it and just didn't like how linear it could sometimes feel if you chose to ignore certain aspects of the strategies you should give it a go because i think it does a lot to resolve that very similar to Zolkin and, and like how the expansion opens things up. So I'm going to give it a buy. It is available now. And yeah, tack it on, expand your game. And the, the book says don't add all the modules at once. But yeah, <laughs> do that. <laughs> There's no reason not to throw them all in there. <laughs> you know, for me, I've always been on the fence when it comes to this game. I don't think it's a bad game whatsoever. But as you mentioned, it felt completely linear for me. It was like, you, you need to do this and then do this to get these resources and then build this. And I was just like, huh, it's okay. It's, a, it's a, you know, in some ways it's kind of like almost a giant rondelle, which once again, not a problem. Like I have, I have no fault with the game whatsoever other than, as you mentioned, trying to pronounce the name. But beyond that, it's an okay <laughs> game, but it really just feel, it felt very locked in. Like there's just a couple of, good strategies and there it doesn't allow for innovative gameplay and i think zulkin feels that way too maybe more now than ever because there are like four solid strategies to the game and then everything else is you just making mistakes but if this expansion actually in fact opens up the game to doing different things i i would be all in for that because i really do want to like this game and i and i enjoy um a lot of it like i said it just it just honestly for me just feels very rope like it's just like this this and then that this this this, and that this this, and that i'm like huh huh all right you know so yeah yeah no i definitely think you should try it because like in the past i've won this game several times by ignoring the pyramid but it's hard like it's hard to do that and the reason i do that is because i'm teaching other people and i want them to build because that's the fun part of the game right yeah but and then, and then, like you said, it's the fun part of the game. So, like, not building, sure, you can win, but there's literally a big thing in the middle that's being built. Why would you not want to do that? Yeah, but the cool thing, too, is that, like, in the game we played, the person who won with the highest score I've ever seen in this game only built on the pyramid twice. But he had mm. one complete set of masks, one half set of masks, and he scored them multiple times. Like he had a strategy and he had fun with it because he was doing a lot of things on the board, but he was playing the game way different than I've ever seen anybody play it. And that's cool. Like mm -hmm. it opens up to you can take the game, twist it apart a little bit and just do something completely different that before you could have done that, but it probably would have lost you the game. So I, I'm excited for that. I want to try all of these and I think there's like 10 mm -hmm. of them. So it'll be a lot of great. I go through each of them. Yeah, I'm really excited about that because for me, board gaming is fun when I get to make interesting choices. That's really that's where I find fun. Like, I don't care about winning or losing. Do I get to do something interesting and dynamic? Can I make some sort of strategy up out of nothing? Like, that's a lot of fun. So, yeah, this is this. I'm really happy to hear this. 
So I want to talk about two minor expansions that recently came out that you may or may not have gotten to the table yet. So I'm talking about Scythe. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And in particular, I really enjoy the variety that comes with the game. There's multiple factions in the game. And depending on the encounters that come up and depending on the board play, and especially, of course, because the Rise of Fenris, which I'll talk about later, that really opens the game up to new things. So there was a recent new expansion that came out, which is Scythe the Modular Board. And basically what we're talking about here is a new board. So you get a new board, just like your old ordinary board of scythe, but there are blank spots. And basically you're going to get these giant hexes that are made up of seven small hexes. And then you're going to randomly assign them onto the board. So basically when you play scythe, you start out with your main base area. And here in this game too, those games, those bases will be randomly assigned And then you put your meeples out, which are your workers, and they'll be able to take resources. But now you don't have a set, you know, starting out situation. So it's not like, hey, here's the rush vets. Of course, they have these materials. And of course, you do this, that, and the other. You may not be in that area. You probably will not be in that area. And even if you are, the tile is really going to mix things up. So once again... The Scythe module board is just the regular board with a couple of extra tiles that are kind of randomized in the game that set up different conditions as far as what resources are available, but that's pretty much it. So if you played Scythe a lot, or if you feel like Scythe is a little too rote as far as like, hey, I know exactly what my first couple of moves are, or someone has like a certain strategy with a certain faction, this is perfect. So for Scythe Modular Board, the brand new release that came out from Jamie Stegmeier, I'm going to give it a buy. I I think being able to switch up that meta to break down people's hardcore strategy, I think is valuable and important. But obviously, if you haven't played Scythe enough yet, you may not need this for quite some time. So uh, it's not essential, but I think it is essential for people who played Scythe a lot. One other expansion really quickly, Scythe Encounters. This came out last year, and I got to play this probably about half a dozen times now at this point. And basically in Scythe, as you move along your hero character out to the wilderness and you explore, there are these little encounter tokens, which means you're encountering the local people. You take the little token, you flip over an encounter card, and these encounter cards are, I would say, 90% of the story. So you flip over the card and it's like, hey, you've come across these villagers who are, you know, in the forest. What do you want to do? Well, you could go help them cut down wood and you gain, you know, three pieces of wood resource. Or you could steal all their tools and get, you know, six people pieces of metal. Or you could, you know, uh, burn down the whole forest and gain a mech. And it's just like, Wow. Uh, yeah, I'll probably take the last one, but if I burn down the forest and gain the mech, I'm going to lose three popularity, which is a huge thing in the game. So that's typically what Scythe Encounters have been. The new pack that you get here is basically allowing you to do that, but it's even a little more intense. So the encounters are a little more dramatic. There's a little more negativity in them, but there's a little more benefit. And there's a lot of these encounters and there are 32 in the game that actually will stick with you for the rest of the game. So it will actually 
bolster you as far as resources are concerned or special abilities are concerned. Or, for example, one of the encounters, and I don't want to ruin a lot of these encounters because I think they're fun to discover, but I'll give you one. One of the encounters is basically someone could pay you. You could choose who you want to pay. Um, someone could pay you three money, and then you give them the card, and you are not allowed to attack them until they attack you. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot for Scythe. So Scythe encounters, these ones are a lot more fun. Don't mix them in with the regular deck. They're a lot more powerful. Play with them on the top of the deck or really just play with the standard deck because it's going to be a little unbalanced. Scythe encounters gets a buy for me. This is a lot of fun. This is really, like I said, 90% of the story mode of the game and it really isn't a lot of story here. So having the new encounters means a lot. So modular boards and encounters, if you've played Scythe before, I would say half a dozen times. These are definitely worth picking up. I got to play this game some more, man. I'm like, I, I keep up. Like I've bought all these things. I think I have the modular board uh -huh. showing up in the mail next week, but yep. I just don't get to the game to the table that much. Well, I'll tell you, you know, we had somebody at our game night and who will remain nameless, but he tends to play a certain color, which means he has to play a certain faction and it may not be the best faction or maybe one of those situations where the faction doesn't ma match up with his gameplay ability. But he, now, because of the new encounters and because of the new modular board, he gets a new setup and a new location starting point. So he can stick with his color and stick with the faction is like and enjoy it a lot more. So I think it really does open the game a lot more, like you mentioned, with the Tetsuwaka expansion. That's good. That's really good to hear. Because like I have some people who don't want to play specifically because of a set starting yeah. situation. Yeah. And then like modular board, and they're like, I guess. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I hope so. There's some people in my game group who've played this game a ridiculous number of times. So when you say modular board, which means not just the board's gonna be different, but their starting point's gonna be different, you kind of even, you know, the uh gamescape down a bit so that they don't have like you know this kind of built-in strategy for it so it plays a lot better all right so that's everything that hit our table this week so for our feature review this week we are talking about bga's birthday and typically with our birthday we take a look back at our favorite acquisition disorders our favorite at the tables and our favorite feature reviews so, Anthony, what do you have to say at this monumental moment? We've hit our sixth birthday, six years of podcasting, 235 episodes here, plus an endless number of Patreon back episodes, plus every night is game night episodes. It's It's been a thing, man. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, actually, because we've reached the point now, six years in, where this been doing this thing for longer than one of my children's been alive. And... <laughs> You know, when she was a baby, that what? Of course, right? We started this. Yes. She's four and a half years old now. So, like, for her entire life, she knows that Monday nights I go podcast, and it's just like a funny Aww. thing. That's just part of her growing up. So it's it's kind of a funny thing. Like, it's just become part of life. And the number of games we've covered, because we do this every year, and I go back through a year's worth of episodes and look at what we've covered and what we've reviewed and what we've said we want to play and it's always a fun experience but recently it's become even more interesting just because the longer we do this the more insight we get the more like far-reaching we get with like these are the things i want to play in the future like this year for my acquisition disorders i think 
maybe 10 of the 40 or 50 games that I've discussed have actually come out so far. So because <laughs> I'm like so sure. far out, it's just it's an interesting difference in like the now versus three or four years ago. Right. It's evolved a lot. Yeah. And I think over the last six years, I think the industry has changed dramatically. I mean, obviously, Asmodee, not just switching hands, but just buying up so much of the game industry and Kickstarter moving from this one random off game here and there that raises money to basically everyone using it as a pre-order system and radically changing the hype and radically changing board gaming. Obviously, game stores having to deal with online stores, which they always have, but now also dealing with Amazon and other companies kind of jumping into the situation. You know, gamers expanding board gaming becoming more of a thing with everybody has been wonderful and then obviously with the asmodee acquisitions you know board gaming companies that we've come to love producing less and less games so things has changed dramatically uh some good and some bad i mean pax unplugged will be coming out in december and that wasn't something that was around when we started and board gaming was a relatively new thing most in the golden age and i think we are seeing bigger and better and at the same time, smaller and smaller things, if that makes sense, as far as how the industry is growing and yet contracting. So, I mean, I think we're looking forward to the next upcoming year and seeing where board gaming is going. But as I mentioned earlier, please take a look back 235 episodes, all of our Patreon back episodes. There's a ridiculous number of content on there. We cover so many games and we really, you know, endeavor to make this a library for you that you can jump back and listen to a lot of great content a lot of great episodes and you know get to learn more about board gaming so please share the podcast with everyone and our website boardgamersnovice.com so anthony so much to talk about here we'll be here for three hours or at least another six years so let's actually get into stuff what do you have for your acquisition disorder for this past year yeah i mean like i said i look back through all 40 whatever games it was and the one that stood out to me that i initially and this is what i look for when i do this every year is a game that caught my interest and i was like huh that could be a thing i like that eventually turned into oh my god i love this right like it's a successful it's exactly what i was looking for and it fulfilled on the promise of what i originally read and for me that was watergate i'm not reviewing this until next week because I'm hoping to get a few more plays in. There's a couple things about it that I want to kind of work out. But this two-player game is just, it's really captured my attention. I've got this at Gen Con. I've already played it now almost 10 times. And that sounds like a lot. It's very short. It's like 30 to 45 minutes. But it's just, there's something about it. It's hypnotic. And it's just, it takes like, you know, Twilight Struggle, the whole idea of that, and shrinks it down into this very short, compact package that's very accessible. It was everything I read about it and saw about it after Origins when I talked about it originally is exactly what it is. And that doesn't happen very often. Honestly, you read about games, you see games, and you're like, oh, wow, this could be the, you know, this amazing thing that does this, this, and this. And maybe it does two out of three of those things, right? And it's still very good, but it's not like, mind-blowingly good but this game is exactly what i was hoping for (laughs) so to this point it's my favorite acquisition disorder of the last year because it has fulfilled on all that wow that's fantastic i'm really hoping to get that game to the table pretty soon 
for me, my acquisition disorder is not a board game so much, but an expansion that brought back one of my favorite board games. That's Caverna, the Forgotten Folk. Now, I talked about this not too long ago because this was an expansion that kind of revitalized Caverna. Now, if you have never played Caverna, basically it was Uwe Rosenberg's tabletop tile version of Agricola, which was all about farming. So Caverna is about farming, but it also has a cave. And instead of cards that determine what you do and how you do it, it had tiles that you could pick up for bonuses and such. Here with the Forgotten Folk, which was when they talked about it, I was really, really excited. I'm like, this is fantastic. I never thought that Uwe Rosenberg was going to go more into the fantasy theme and actually have more asymmetrical player powers. And he did. So you have all of these fantasy races coming into the game and each of them plays slightly differently and each of them comes with their own tiles that go into the mix so now you have a mix of different things and based upon what character races you play with the setup is going to be slightly different and that was a lot of fun and it brought the game back to the table which people generally have kind of balked at just because the setup time and the breakdown time is so massive so having a unique race here a fantasy race here was something that brought the game back to table and something I, I love for a great deal. And that's uh, Caverna of the Forgotten Folk. Yeah, man, this is like, I wish I played this more, honestly. It's so, so, so good. Like I want to get through all the races and that's just not going to happen anytime soon, but it's a very, very good expansion. The idea of having uh, a fantasy race that has a weakness too was something that was, you know, in some cases revolutionary. I really like that too. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the reasons I like Tantuakon's expansion. Like, Oh my god, I can do this amazing thing. Oh my god, I also get messed up on this thing. <laughs> like it's cool. All right, Anthony. So let's talk about the games that hit our table over the last year and let everyone know how great they've been. Yeah, yeah. No, so last year, uh the two games that were like my games of the year uh, in 2018 were Root and Tetuakan. I feel like Tetuakan is the game that kind of stuck it out, and I've played it the most since then. Root is really hard to get to the table for a variety of reasons. And I've played it a lot. The expansion has revitalized it. I loved it when it came out. It was my favorite Euro of 2018. And now into 2019, I'm playing it a bunch again. So this was definitely one of my favorite games. Daniel Ticini, one of my favorite designers. I loved Zulkin. I loved all the things he's collaborated on. And this game in particular just really clicked for me in a lot of ways. Uh, and has me so excited for his new game that I talked about you know, a couple weeks ago, Trespagistus coming out at Essen that I just like, I'm trying to figure out how to get it. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I need this game. I will say though, that there were two games that were very, very, very close. Like I actually spent time deliberating which one to, to mention here because Pax Pamir second edition, which I talked about just like five or six weeks ago. And then Brass uh, Birmingham were two other big, heavy heroes that I, absolutely loved as well um brass because i had completely missed it the first time through and then like the re-releases were beautiful and the updated version was so good and then pax premiere because that game just blew my mind <laughs> like i don't know why but the the way the card play and the, the really really tight scoring mecha mechanisms worked was just fantastic this is a game that i will always play if someone brings it out but like I said, Tantuakan is the game I've played the most out of these. It's the game I just I think I like the most out of all of them, uh, despite all that. 
And with the expansion now, I have a feeling I'm going to play it a lot again in the next few months. So that's that's my favorite at the table for the last year. Nice. Well, for me, and it's kind of funny that we're talking about games we just talked about earlier, as far as having expansions coming out, a little synchronicity there. For me, the game that really kind of was a huge anticipation, hit the table, was truly satisfying in almost every way is Scythe, The Rise of Fenris. Now, I've been talking a lot about Scythe, and I'll be honest with you, like, I do love the game, but I recognize all the problems with it and the fact that a lot of it's very generic. And then they came out with their first expansion, Evaders for Afar, which I was really excited about. But both of those, you know, factions play somewhat similar, and I was like, huh, and then they came out with another expansion with the sky ships. And I was really excited about that. But then they really didn't meet my uh, expectations. So once again, I was like, eh. And when they talked about Fenris and they talked about this kind of legacy model slash campaign model. And I was like, really intrigued. I was like, this is great. It's a little expensive, but this is this sounds going to be great. And I got to play it. And it's really great. Now, it is mostly great if not all great because of the modules that come with the game, you get two more expansion factions, which play very different and they're truly unique and interesting and have totally different gameplay options to them. And that's the kind of factions I wanted in the game. There are a changing board as far as a random option of how the stars come out. As far as victory points are concerned, there is a Euro version that you can put down there and play that, or there's more of an Ameritrash war version you can play without the randomness. You just drop that board down. And there's a lot of little extra bonuses basically to how the game plays. Now the story mode for me is a letdown because it has one kind of little twist to it, but that's pretty much it. And even the end is kind of like, Hey, you did a thing. Congratulations. I'm like, huh? All right. It's over. It's over. Uh, but I still enjoyed it very much. It was really engaging and it's probably one of my favorite game experiences. So, you know, for my game of year, which is kind of basically an expansion, Scythe the Rise of Fenris. Yep. And I'm going to say the same thing I say every time you talk about this. I need to play it. Well, you got another year birthday wise to see if you can you can squeeze that in. I just I don't like the people. I they don't want to play Scythe. I don't know what their problem is, man. I got to get them into it. The Rise of Fenris really does something unique for the game, and the two, and I'm and I'm hoping I'm not spoiling anything, but the two expansion factions that come into play are fantastic. They're not just like the other two that came out, which were okay. They weren't bad, but these two are just game breaking. So I really enjoy that, and I think that your game group will too if you can actually get it to the table. All right, Anthony, so let's talk about the final part of our birthday celebration. Let's talk about our favorite feature. Yeah, so for me, uh, back in episode 221, uh, about three months ago, I talked about the top 10 rolling rights. And I say I talked about because I don't think Chris said anything, maybe. Did you say anything? I think I introduced it. I think that's as far as I went with it. I play rolling rights. But honestly, I'm not a big fan of the rolling right. Yeah, I feel like I'm alone on this. Well, I'm not alone, obviously, because everybody's making them right now. But the last year has been, and almost exactly one year, 
has been like my discovery of the genre. So to the point where I could do a top 10, <laughs> like nine months later, I, I don't know what it is. Like there's something about it, the puzzle of it, the, the tactile nature of just writing something down and building it out. These are fantastic games. Like those 10 games, I like all of them and I own almost all of them. And then like the upcoming ones I mentioned in like the, the post thing, I have most of them at this point. I think there's two that I don't have and almost all of them are good. So I, I wish I could tell you why I love Roll and Write so much. I don't know what it is about like my personality or my gaming preferences that just clicks with me, but these games are fantastic. I've been playing a bunch. I bought almost everyone I could find at Gen Con. So I have probably six or seven more that I'm going to talk about here in the next few weeks. I think in a few weeks I'm doing like the solo ones on every night's game night, and then I'm going to do like a Roll and Write roundup here on BGA like I did a couple months ago just covering all of them. And it's just, I don't know. It's like a, a new genre that I hadn't discovered, which when you've been in board gaming for a few years, you've been doing a podcast, you play several games a week, you're constantly learning new rules. It's rare that you discover a new type of game that you just absolutely love. It's exciting. So that's where I've been at with that genre. And I feel like that episode was kind of the culmination of that. And yeah, that's it's one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, I remember episode 221 and as you mentioned, it's it's a fine, you know, mechanic so to speak. It's just never really clicked with me. I do enjoy some of those games, Roll Through the Ages in particular, but you know, it's just I don't really enjoy scratching on some piece of paper and kind of feeling like, hey, that's a board game. I, I really want the pieces and the, the parts <laughs> to it. Uh, but no, I, I I enjoy the fact that you enjoy it. And so many people at game nights enjoy it because I have played a lot of Roll and Rights because it's one of those kind of filler games that almost plays with any number of characters at the table. And it really has developed its own niche. So yeah, I think we're just going to see a lot more. I think Dinosaur Island is getting a roll and write, if, if I'm correct on that. Yeah, everything is getting a roll and write. Like, there's a Kingsburg one coming out. There's a Dinosaur Island one coming out. I I have, again, like I said, I have eight sitting over here. There's the Patchwork one I picked up, the Cottage Garden one I picked up. You're going to hear about so many roll and writes in the next month and two. Oh. Just enjoy it, man. You can <laughs> enjoy it for both of us and until at least until BGA gets its own roll and write. But... For me, the episode I want to talk about is episode 186. That episode is top 10 games at two-player, and in particular, Euro games. Now, my big problem with board gaming in general is typically, and I understand this, is that when they market these board games, they want you to believe that it plays with every player count possible. And if you've ever played a board game, you know that is absolutely not the tr truth Games play best at a certain number, give or take a player. And, you know, since you don't have a lot of opportunities to get games to the table multiple times, typically you're going to play a game once or twice and, and decide if you want to buy that game or if you want to, you know, bring it more to the table. So trying to figure out what the best player count for that is, is really challenging and difficult. So especially at the two player count, you know, Typically, two-player games are really quick kind of back and forth, and they kind of rush through and everything. But if you want to play something really dynamic, really crunchy, 
you know, Anthony and I put together a great list of the top 10 two-player Euro games. And in particular, I have played now all of these games. I've enjoyed all these games. They all play great at two, even though all of these games are not two-player games. There are a lot of games out there that are just two-player games. These games play great at all numbers, but especially at two. So jump back and check out episode 186 and find out what games are there. Yeah, yeah. I remember this list, actually. I was out of town that week, so I think you did this one by yourself, maybe? I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we had talked about it a little bit in advance, but the, the final list, I couldn't disagree with any of them. I own almost all of these, and I like all of them. <laughs> so I was like... Yeah, this is a very good list. These are all good at two. Yeah, ironically, our two-player game episode was just a, a one-person episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is going to be everything for BGA six birthday. Once again, thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for promoting the podcast, bringing new people in, joining us on Patreon with his brand new episodes, brand new features. Join us in the Slack group. Help determine the future of BGA. Join us, email us, send messages to us so that we know how much you love what we're doing and what we could do better in the future. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for our sixth birthday. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. <laughs>